This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thank you very much for spending part of your day with us. One year ago today, Hurricane Maria slammed into Puerto Rico, causing mass devastation. Much of the island was left without power for months. The death toll was recently reported at around 3,000. Thousands of Puerto Ricans moved to various states here in the U.S., and many of them have not returned. So what is the state of the island now, and are people are the people who stayed getting back to any sense of normalcy in their lives? Carla Minette is executive director of the Center for Investigative Journalism in Puerto Rico. She joins us on the phone right now, as does Charles Venator Santiago, who is an associate professor with a joint appointment in political science and the Institute for Latino, Caribbean, and Latin American Studies at the University of Connecticut. Carla, thanks for joining the show again. Thank you for your time. Charles, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, Carla, give us an update on the situation right now in Puerto Rico. Well, you know, one year um, after Maria, we, I think people feel, uh, have a a bittersweet feeling. We, uh, of course, have had a process of recovery uh, in terms of uh, very very basic um, services, such as electricity, water, uh, food, access to food, um, you know, things that in the first months were really difficult, even access to gas. Um, but there are some major infrastructure um, and structural pro- problems in the island that um, go beyond Maria. Uh, you know, uh, Puerto Rico has been going through a, a fiscal crisis that has uh, weakened all the infrastructure and um, institutions in general in the island. So we are facing that right now. Um, The rebuild effort has been super slow um, in terms of um, working with um, uh, housing, especially, and uh, the, you know, the process with the government agencies getting back to normal, et cetera. but I think uh, people um, feel like uh, this will, I think people know that this will, this will take a few years. You know, I, I wouldn't say that we feel like we are in a full recovery process. But I wonder if there was a little bit of that expectation anyway, Carla, because of how devastating this storm was to Puerto Rico. There had to be an expectation that this was not going to be a a six-month fix when when it got started. I think people maybe didn't, in the beginning, I think most people didn't feel um, like... This would take so long. Right. I, I I think um, we didn't knew the magnitude of um, of the the process that we have been going through through the last decade. Um, people didn't have a real sense of uh, what it means to have less government employees in the emergency agencies or in the security agencies or in the health department. 
Um, but now that we are seeing what's the toll of all this um, dismantling of the of government uh, services and institutions, I think um, you know this has made pretty clear the experience has made uh, pretty clear that it takes a very uh, big toll on everyone. Charles, you see a, a level of that in, in where you are in Connecticut uh, with uh, some of the people that left Puerto Rico and have moved to that state uh, to live with family members. Yes. So we, we, we are seeing the remnants of that change right now as TSA or FEMA stop funding. Uh, and we're seeing an influx of Puerto Ricans are coming with uh, members, or friends or households who are living in poverty. Uh, and they don't have the resources to live in Connecticut. So we're seeing a lot of poverty, a lot of misery for some families, uh, and it's mm-hmm. very hard for folks to integrate to the community. Do we know well, how? Do we know how many people ballpark actually left Puerto Rico and are are living in various locations around the U.S. right now? Charles, well, that's a good question. There are lots of estimates, uh, but according the most recent uh, report, most reliable reports from the Puerto Rican Institutes for Statistics. And they estimated that about 200,000 people left during the first four months uh, of the crisis from September to December, and about 72,000 people returned uh, during the first four months of the fiscal year. Uh, And they estimated in general about 155,000 people left the island. Uh, FEMA data suggests that they migrated to 42 states. But the problem is that we don't know uh, whether they stayed in a state or they migrated throughout the state. So we're still trying to figure out the numbers, and the census data won't be available until 2019. Carla, how frequently are you hearing stories there in Puerto Rico of people coming back from the United States? Um, I think it's it's not very usual to hear stories of people coming back. Um, people are going back and forth because of family, and but but not permanently. Right. Um, uh the 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 last number i i saw yesterday um from the center for puerto rican studies at hunter college says that um 2000 people flee puerto rico in the year since hurricane maria um you know it's it's a rate of uh, migration that has never been experienced before mm-hmm. um you know, even though I, I don't like to call Puerto Rican, like, it, it's a migration a migration process, but it's, you know, Puerto, Puerto Ricans are, are have a, a, an American passport, so it's a different kind of migration, let's say, at least. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. We're talking about Hurricane Maria one year after. Carla Minette uh, of the uh, Center for Investigative Journalism in Puerto Rico joining us on the phone. Uh, Charles Vanater Santiago joining us from the University of Connecticut. Again, 844 942 Seven eight six six, or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on uh, Twitter at BizRadio one thirty two, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney twenty one. So, Carla, right now, what level of of government response from the U.S. is still involved in the in the rebuild of Puerto Rico? Well, we have uh, federal agencies, as as we always have, uh, but some of them have a, a, a bigger stake right now here especially fema um 
they frankly they've been so slow here um and uh all the fema denial of uh of uh, uh all the people that have been asking them for help it's like they they have like a 60 something rate of the of denying denial mm-hmm. um so it's it's been a very slow process people uh, still have the, their houses like torn away. There are lots of blue tarps everywhere still. So the, there, there's a lot of work uh, here for for federal agencies um, still. Uh, you know, and 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 that's that's like uh, the, those are the things that you see that are like physically there, but there are lots of other things uh, in terms of preparedness and uh, working with um, uh, the rebuilding of uh, things like uh, bridges or um, highways, etc., that are things uh, that are also, you know, waiting to happen right now. Charles, yeah, go ahead, Charles. I just want to add one point. One of the fundamental problems that I think folks uh, have sort of not paid enough attention is that Right after Katrina and Sandy, Congress enacted something called DHAP, Disaster Housing Assistance Program, uh, as a pro- interagency work with FEMA, HUD interagency work, and that didn't happen for Maria. So FEMA has been activating uh, small business administration loans and has been very strict about providing uh, assistance to folks in Puerto Rico, as opposed to previous administrations under Bush and uh, Obama, which had activated. Uh, more federal funding and more flexible federal funding for uh, survivors mm-hmm. of disasters. Mm-hmm. What I was going to ask you, Charles, what what do you think then the the response should be at this point for the federal well, government? Well, part of the problem is that you have a Republican administration that thinks that people should assume responsibility mm-hmm. for things that were for their situation, even if they don't have the resources to assume that responsibility or control over the situation. Uh, so some of the funding is sort of earmarked in, in ways that uh, it makes it hard to get access to the to, uh, working class folks. The other problem is that there has been some resistance from the federal government to release a lot of aid because they're not getting the assurances that they need from the Puerto Rican government that's not going to be wasted uh, mm-hmm. because of local clientelism and corruption. And there are billions of dollars that have been allocated. Um, I, I've been focusing a little bit on the so-called Marshall Plan that's been discussed by Senator yeah. Gillibrand and Mendes, which I think mm-hmm. is ridiculous because Puerto Rico is not a sovereign country that can engage in international trade to repay that Marshall Plan. I think we should be talking about a works project administration uh, similar to the New Deal, where there is a concerted effort by the government to employ people and to create job opportunities in a transparent fashion. Well, Char- uh, Charles, Charles, for those, pe- those people that didn't hear that before, explain what exactly was the, the, the thought that Senator Gillibrand had in the first place. So, so the idea is to allocate uh, sufficient federal, federal money or resources to essentially rebuild Puerto Rico in a way that it can be competitive uh, mm-hmm. for the future. Uh, address the electric power grid problems, water, and so on and so forth. And presumably that would create jobs. But the problem is that the Marshall Plan model presumes that there, there are going to be some repayments or a vibrant economy that can sort of uh, be rebuilt. And under the current fiscal uh, oversight board, the economy is not estimated to grow for another 10 years because of the uh, austerity approach that they're imposing. 
So it's sort of like putting money to rebuild an economy that is not going to grow because of the very same policies that Congress is imposing on Puerto Ricans. Carla, your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I think that, um, you know, the underlying thing here in Puerto Rico in the rebuilding effort that is not talked about uh, in general is the colonial na- nature of the relationship between the U.S. and Puerto Rico and the reality that uh, that creates a, a whole different uh, set of challenges. Um, in terms of, of, of rebuilding after a natural disaster. Um, I think uh, the process would be very different if we were uh, a state, for example, or a sovereign country, of course. Right. Um, the, the, the federal government here is all the time, like, uh, with this kind of... Uh, uh, saying about how corrupt is the local government, etc. But you know, we've also we've also seen processes like the whitefish contracts and the re- the, the relationship that have been uh, uh, signaled between the U.S. federal government and and the contracting process, uh, the procurement process, and how politicized uh, it is in the federal government. So we have like this two sides that are, are always accusing each other of the same thing. Um, and uh, in the end, it creates a very slow and ineffective process uh, of deciding on things and um, disembursing the money, etc. Um, so I, I, re- I really think that the nature of our political relationship is the main thing that has been uh, you know, causing this process of, of rebuilding to be so slow. That's my perspective. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. Carla Minette uh, for the Center for Investigative Journalism in Puerto Rico joining us on the phone, as is uh, Charles Venator Santiago uh, from the University of Ken- Connecticut. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Charles, you know, I, I, and again, we probably don't know what the numbers will be, but I would imagine that some of the people that, that you've been in contact with that have come from Puerto Rico to the United States are, are going to make the decision to permanently relocate here in the U.S., correct? Yes. So one of the things, we recently conducted a survey uh, in the Hartford region, uh, 1,300 individuals that we interviewed, and by May, more than 50% of, the, of those who we interviewed were telling us that they were trying to stay because they didn't have work at home or housing mm-hmm. Or the situation was so precarious that they simply couldn't go back. Uh, and there were about 56% of respondents told us that they were anticipating a, a relative or friend to arrive in Connecticut in the next six months, meaning between uh, July, August, and December. Uh, so we are seeing people trying to settle. The problem is that the state doesn't have enough housing. Right. There's no federal aid for housing. Uh, there's not enough work. And the cost of living here is too high for the average Puerto Rican to live. Um, and they're re- and they're relying on working class families that earn half of the medium income of the state, which is under thirty thousand um, dollars, or yeah, I mean, almost a third of the medium income of the state of Connecticut. So- uh, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish up. Connecticut is not much of an option for people to resettle or to come to, even though there are more Puerto Ricans willing to receive uh, or host or help Puerto Ricans from the island. Well, let me let me ask you this: What has has your institute been able to do to try and and, and assist at, at any level it can? Uh, because obviously, there's a, a close connection between uh, what your institute would do and, and the people of Puerto Rico who have been uh, coming over here to the United States. Uh, so, so I've been working more with sort of collecting information, and disseminating for the nonprofits and the uh, uh, sort of community-based organizations that have been at the forefront of, of, uh, of responding. The governor of Connecticut, Dan Malloy, has also assumed responsibility and treated Puerto Ricans who arrived as residents who had suffered a, a crisis in Connecticut, which was great. But the problem is that there's just not enough money. So my role yeah. has been to hopefully clarify the debate so that people know what's possible and what's not. Uh, and I've been working with some nonprofits to the extent that we can. Is there a concern that we may see something similar to what I, I remember we, we saw with the people of Haiti who had come to the U.S. and, and they were b- basically asked to go back? Is there a concern that we may see something like that at some point? There was an effort by FEMA uh, to relocate or return Puerto Ricans, but the funding to assist in tra- uh, returning uh, f- uh, Puerto Ricans to the island ended on August 30. So now we have a population of Puerto Ricans who are struggling without uh, resources to move. What I suspect will end up happening is that you'll see a lot of internal mobility within the, st- the state and in the region. So right. folks will start in Connecticut and then move to Massachusetts or New York looking for opportunities. Carla, you mentioned mm-hmm. before about infrastructure, and, and obviously that's a, a critical component to getting uh, any town, country, uh, whatever, back up and running. Uh, what is the state uh, of some of the basic infrastructure, the, the roads, the bridges, et cetera? Well, you know, uh, the roads are pretty bad, in pretty bad shape. Uh, you know, in some, in some places like my town in the center of the island, um, you have, um, you know, uh, landslides that haven't been even touched. <laughs> wow. Um, so, uh, you know, th- th- there's still, like, a lot of uh, work to do um, in terms of um, highways and um, roads. Um, you know, the, the electric grid, which is maybe the most sensitive part because, you know, it's it, we we published uh, an investigation last week right. um, with uh, Associated Press and Quartz uh, that uh, shows how many uh, that a lot of people died in the month um, after the hurricane. Not not because of the winds or the floodings or anything, but because of the lack of electricity and what that means for in terms of receiving medical services, uh, have medication. Um, calling an ambulance and things like that. Yeah. Um, so the electric grid right now has been, you know, repaired in such a way that, uh, in such a superficial way that if a wind comes or heavy rain comes, it's going to go away in a minute. Um, it's terrible the way that uh, the federal funding limits how you can rebuild you have to rebuild exactly the way it was before the storm right. and that means for us rebuilding in such a messy way so um i think um if, you know for puerto rico i would say that that would that would be like the most critical thing 
uh, how will we deal with a, a true recovery of our electrical grid? Because right now, if anything comes our way, we are um, very vulnerable. And uh, people, um, you know, even mentally, people will go nuts if they know that we will receive a, a new storm uh, right. this year because of that mainly right because you 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 need to see a permanent fix to this it yeah. can't it can't be a patchwork yeah people 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 know that if anything comes our way we'll go through the same or worse um you know and and really it's it's, it's not a, a good picture what about, what about the tourism aspect has that recovered a little bit at this point it has it has started to recover um you know nature in in many of our our uh, you know places where where tourists come is uh is being very you know it's it's uh green again let's say <laughs> um and uh, tourism has started to come back but many many tourism facilities are still very uh you know, in very dire circumstances, uh, not, not not everything has been fixed. So um, some amenities are still closed. Some hotels are still closed um, with no expectation of uh, opening very soon. So uh, we're not fully, you know, 100% back in terms of the offering to tourists. And Charles, it doesn't seem like that, that right now, and it's been a year that we are going to see any really significant permanent solutions uh, coming from the U.S. government because this was this was, you know the question of Puerto Rico and and its solvency and its bankruptcy was something that was for a while been banded you know thrown around and hasn't really been solved. Yeah, I, again, I, I think part of the challenge is that this austerity approach, privatization approach, is. A uh, slow-moving process because politics, in some ways, is linked to electoral participation and jobs. Uh, so there is some money that's starting to flow and that will be flowing. The question is how where that money is going to go. Uh, and as our colleague mentioned earlier, part of the dismantling of the government suggests that the money is going to start going to private companies who are going to be subcontracting and assuming responsibility for the rebuilding of Puerto Rico. So once that's in place, we'll see a lot more money flowing, but it's going to go to the private sector. Not necessarily to the and, public sector. And, and, and let me let me say that um, many of this money is going to U.S. companies, not local yes. companies. So that's the problem we're having, like right now, and, and since the beginning of the recovery process and the emergency itself, um, many of the contractors are are not from Puerto Rico, and uh, and the money is not is not flowing uh, here. You know, it's minimal. Yes. Great having you both with us. Carla, we wish you all the best there in Puerto Rico. Charles, thank you very much for your time, sir. Anytime. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.